0: Welcome to the first week in a brand new series called Mind Games. As you can see, uh, we have been visited by the board game fairies. Uh, Not really, we've actually just been visited by Mark and Mary Miller, who have seriously collected a few games over the years, and I want to thank them for bringing in some of them to show off. Do you recognize some of these games? Have you played some of these games? Raise your hand if you have. Are there some games that you've never heard of that are up here that you go, I have never touched these games before? Yeah, absolutely, because there are a few. So thank you guys uh, for bringing those and helping uh, get us into this series that we're calling Mind Games. One of the favorite games that I had uh, growing up was the game that's one of them right in front of me, The Game of Life. Have you ever played The Game of Life? The, the neat thing about this game is that I'm not sure it's quite a, agrees with my worldview. I don't think it's a biblical worldview. Uh, because the way that you win the game is that you have the most money at the day of reckoning. If you have the most money and you have more money than anyone else at the day of reckoning, that's the spot on the board, then you win. That's how you win. Now, there are two paths to winning, though. If you get to the end and you're close to the day of reckoning and you think you have the most money, then you can just say, I think I have the most money. And you can walk into the the mansion, the millionaire's mansion. But if you don't have the most amount of money and assets in the game and you think that, you know what, I'm not sure I have all the right money, you may not be sure, then what you can do is bet it all. You can take uh, the picture on this uh, board game here. You can see the the board itself. If you go to the next one, that one here, you can see the board. It's kind of sideways, but uh, that spinner is how you move your piece around the board. And what you can do is at the end of your turn, if you are at the end of the game, if you're at the day of reckoning and you're not sure that you have the most assets, resources, and money, then what you can do is say, I'm going to bet everything on the number three, seven, eight, whatever number you want, up to 10, and then you spin. And if you get it right, you instantly win the game. It's automatically over. And if you lose, you go to the poorhouse, and everything's over. You're instantly eliminated so that's kind of the rules of the game have you played game of life before online have you if you've uh, played game of life before put it in chat say that yeah I've absolutely played the game of life before but here's something I learned while researching some board games for this series I didn't know that the game of life has changed their rules since it was made in 1967. The main way to win is still the same, that you go ahead and you get the most at the day of reckoning or at the end or whatever they call it now. But they've updated to add things that are more culturally relevant. So one of the things they added in one of the recent updates is that they started paying out, giving dividends, some kind of rewards for good deeds, like recycling your trash instead of throwing it away. Or helping the homeless. Now, I don't know about you, but if I help the homeless, I don't receive a monetary reward in return. That seems like it's backwards, but uh, that's in the game now. You get rewarded in some way. That counts as points to you. Over the years, they've increased the valuation of properties and cash. You no longer get $100 as a payday type of thing. It's now a little bit higher to reflect current uh, salaries and current costs of raising kids and houses and buying things in this game. They've added lawyers to the game. Lawyers. So, just to show you how culturally relevant suing someone else is today, there's now the legal system inside the game of life. And... One of the things you can do as you go around the game is that you can start a family. You have a little car with pegs, colored pegs that you could put in, blue or pink, depending on, you know, boy or girl spouse. And, you know, the more kids you have, I can't remember if that helped you win or lose. I don't remember. But the interesting thing is, is that they have a new category, pets. You can add pets to your vehicle as you go around the car and I don't know how that works in the game. I've not seen it. It's only a rule that was introduced four years ago. So they're consistently changing the rules on how you can win, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And it can feel like that sometimes, that sometimes culture out there, the world out there, even if you're a a Christ follower or not, the system out there seems sometimes that it's always changing the rules and it makes it harder and harder and harder to win. But no matter what game you're playing, board game, card game, game of life, it's important that we know the rules on how to win. It's important that we know the rules and how to win. And one of the things that we must know about winning at life is how to win at the games that our minds plays with us. We have to win at the games that our mind loves to play with us. And here's why we need to do that. Here's why we must win at the mind game if we are going to win at life. Our thought life eventually becomes our life our thought life eventually becomes our life the old saying you are what you eat isn't true I am not McDonald's I am not five guys I am not steak I am what I think I'm not what I eat I am what I think you are what you think Henry Ford said it this way pretty famously, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. And that's interesting to me. We see this in psychology, Uh, the APA has uh, developed a theory and has written about a theory called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. It practices this idea that you are what you think, and whether you believe you can or you think you can't actually activates a lot of the way that you will live your life. CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, has been effective for a range of problems, including depression, anxiety disorders, alcohol and drug use problems, marital problems, eating disorders, and severe mental illness. Numerous research studies that CBT leads to significant improvement in quality of life and in functioning. And in many studies, CBT has been demonstrated to be as effective or more effective than other forms of psychological therapy and counseling and medications. What is CBT? CBT is based on several core principles and includes the following. They're based on the idea that the problems that we have, the psychological problems that some people face, are based partly on unhelpful or faulty ways of thinking. Sometimes they're also based on learned patterns of unhelpful behavior and that may not sound like a mind game. Well, that's just behavior then. We are want to talk about the way we think. We're going to unpack that a little bit later. But the two are connected. And people suffering from psychological problems can learn better ways of coping with CBT. They can learn better ways of coping with their psychological problems, relieving them of their symptoms and becoming more effective in their lives. They do things like help you change your thinking patterns like uh, trying different strategies, They'll a counselor may help you learn to recognize your distortions in thinking that are creating problems and then help you reevaluate them in light of reality. They might help you gain a better understanding of the motivation and uh, behavior of others. They might give you problem-solving skills uh, to help cope with difficult situations. Or they'll help you, uh, give you a greater sense of confidence in your own abilities. They might also help you change your behavior so that you can test and see. Things like um, facing your fears instead of avoiding them, or role-playing to prepare for potentially problematic interactions with others, or learning to calm your mind meditation techniques to help you calm your mind. I think that's interesting. As a matter of fact, the best counseling technique that I know is that kind of role play. And you've actually been a part of that kind of cognitive behavioral therapy if you've been attending our church for some time, where we've talked about things like, suppose you had a friend who's facing the problem that you're facing. Now that it's your friend, how would you counsel them? What would you tell them to do? And because it's now no longer your problem, it's your friend's problem, you're more free to talk about the truth because of that emotional weight, the emotional challenge, the past of the way, uh, the way that you think about how you've handled that in past situations, how it's up, that's not your friend. That's not you anymore. And it alleviates that weight, and it often helps you self-discover the truth. And I really like that. Now you may think, Pastor Brian, that's simply psychology. And that's interesting because what CBT has decided and wants to tackle through helping people change their mind is the same thing that the Bible talks about. The Bible says that you and I as Christians need to win at the mind game. One of the heroes of the christian faith the church planter the apostle paul would say at really the end of his ministry he's kind of writing his magnus opus that we find in the letter to the church in rome we call it the book of romans he would write this this is a seasoned christian he would write this i find this law at work although i want to do good evil is right there with me for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my, what's the word? Mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work against me. To Paul, this isn't a game. To Paul, this is war. And if you're old enough to have ever served, or you've ever spoken to someone who has served in the military, this should bring some thoughts to you about the discipline that you need in order to win those kinds of wars. Oh, for Paul, it was a war, this mind game that we're talking about and we're introducing today. You are what you think. Our thought life eventually becomes our life. That means that if you think you won't, you won't. That means that if you think you're a victim, you will become, eventually, a victim. If you think you won't get the job, you, in your mind, you're, thinking perhaps I'm just protecting myself from disappointment. But you're setting yourself up, you're sabotaging yourself for what God may have intended for you by saying, that can't happen to me. Oh, this this game that our minds play, plays with us. It can be a trap that is very difficult to escape from even for Christians, even for pastors. Received an email just this week from, from a large church. Um, one of the things that I love to do, it's kind of a free secret about ministry, is that I love when I don't have to reinvent the wheel about doing things. Uh, so I love to give 5 or $10, or $25 to a different church. And I, I do that just because I want to get on their email list. Because as soon as you give to a church, you're on their email list forever and ever and ever, except here. You're welcome to go and and sign up for our email blasts and and get those every week. And you can um, unsubscribe from those at any time. But I did that to get on their list, and so they started to share, here's what's coming, and of course, they do what we do, right? They say, here's, here's the sermon series that's coming this week, here's ways you can volunteer, here's tools for your, you to invite, you know, the, the, the standard things that all churches do. But in, in, the, in the email, the pastor said, I want to tell you that we're starting uh, a series uh, called The Mind Game. Oh. Well, that's interesting to me because we're also doing a series called Mind Games. That, that's clear that that's really cool. Maybe I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Why are you doing your, your series? Let me learn from you. And in the video, they talked about something that was pretty revealing. That the last year had been the most taxing on him as a person and as a pastor and as a dad and as a husband that he was going to take a two-month sabbatical because of depression. That the choices that they had had to make in this large church, they had had to let staff go, they had had to downsize, they closed some some campuses, which is horrific. Um, I think the world needs more local churches, even mega churches the, the good thing about a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts or a Tim Hortons is that there's one everywhere. You don't have to drive far. That's the cool thing about the local church had that local flavor but he was taking two months off because it had just absolutely destroyed his soul having to pastor through the pandemic and when he said that in sort of this is why you need to come this Sunday on this video uh teaser I just went I feel that because there was a time when I wondered why are we even doing this when the pandemic first started. There was a time when me and my family were essentially running Sunday each and every Sunday. And we heard from no one about help, encouragement, prayer. And rightly so, because everyone's trying to figure out what is this thing? How, how do we be safe? How do we navigate that? But there were times that God squeezed me hard. On the things that I had become addicted to. About. Why are we doing this? And it was all in my mind. It was all in my head. And that's not a. Confession of weakness. Statement of togetherness. Because it doesn't matter how strong. You are on the outside. Everyone's minds. Everyone's brain tries to play games with you. Just you. Your brain tries to play games with you. And it is absolutely critical that we learn to play this game to win. If you think you won't, you won't. If you think you're a victim, you'll become one. But what if there's a way forward how do we begin to win well I think Paul takes that letter this magnus opus that he's describing some of his own challenges being perfectly transparent like that pastor was like I did just a little bit there uh, Paul himself is completely transparent in this letter and he goes and he writes some of the fa- most famous verses that if you've been a Christian for a long time or you grew up in church, you know these verses really, really well. But we're going to review them today. This is what it says in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, just think back to what we celebrated at Easter last week, that's God's mercy. That's what Paul has described through chapters 1 through 11. In view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, now remember this is Paul's story of a guy who hunted Christians for a living and was given the opportunity to turn and serve Christ. For the grace, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought But rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, if you grew up in church, you know this verse, right? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you've ever heard messages on this very famous passage before, it seems pretty clear that what has to happen is that our minds need renewing with the truth of God, that there's a truth out there that you and I need to go, wait, that's not God's truth, and we need to wrestle through that. As Christians, we need to become spiritual meteorologists. Now, this also means something else. If you've heard this before, the temptation is going to be, I know this, I do this, I do this already. And that's how we start to lose the mind game. Because what this means is that our minds will naturally gravitate towards conforming unless we consistently push against that with the renewal of God's truth in our minds. We need to renew our minds with God's truth. And we don't get that unless we've taken courses on neuroplasticity and neural learning and uh, neurology. Anyone? Anyone taken courses along those lines? I didn't either, and I spent all this week learning as much as I possibly could so that we could distill it down into what, how does this truth actually show up in our lives? How do Christians start to conform to the pattern of this world? What's the slope? What's the start? How do we begin to slide into this to where we don't notice that we're not being renewed? I think this is how this works. Satisficing. Have you heard of that word before? Satisficing is something that every person does when it comes to the way they make decisions on how they will do things with excellence or whether they will do things in a satisfactory way. It's things that we choose to say that I'm going to do what's best versus what's satisfactory. You cannot do everything to a level of perfect excellence, can you? Of course not. You might say that, you know what? I think every day I'm going to get down on my hands and knees. I'm going to take a toothbrush and I'm going to scrub the grout on my kitchen floor. And I'm going to wash my windows every day. I'm going to vacuum every day. I'm going to do laundry every day. I am going to do everything in my home every day. We're going to mow. We're going to garden every day. We're going to do this rain or shine, snow, hail, you name it. You're like the post office for house cleaning. You put Martha Stewart to shame but who does that? No one. Everyone decides at some point, I've got other things that I want to do, so the house is now good enough. It's clean enough. That's a satisficing decision. It's where you are saying it is satisfactory, and we all do it, and what this means is this. It's not wrong for us to make those choices. That's how we cope with how do we know what our priorities in our lives. But what that proves to us, what satisfying proves to us, is that our minds have limited power to focus on excellence. And they intentionally start to choose, this is something I don't have to do perfectly. This is something I can just do satisfactorily. Right? I don't have to do this perfectly. I just have to do this satisfactorily. Now, there are some things you will do with excellence, But you'll pick and choose those things on your preferences and we're going to talk about how we allow those preferences to be shaped. Now there's something else that's happening with our minds. Since the course of time has begun to progress through history, since the beginning of time, we have been given more and more and more choices with each and every generation with each and every era of history, we have been given more and more and more and more choice. And it has accelerated exponentially off the scale in our generation. Consider this example for, uh, for just a second. In 1976, the supermarket ha- had 9,000 items. In 2014, it had 40,000. Now, the average shopper gets 80 to 85% of what they need through 150 items. So, we didn't need 9,000. We didn't need 40,000. But, the things that we have to choose from have increased exponentially, so much so that when you or your spouse goes to the supermarket, you ignore 39,850 items. And do you know how you notice this? There are times when you go to Wegmans or Walmart or anything like that, and you just go, I didn't even know they had that. When did they start to carry, when, how did they, what did they, that, that's kinda neat, but you don't know how to take that all in on every aisle and every spot. You didn't know that that was there. And that's exhausting. Imagine thinking, I can get any of the items that I want, 40,000 possibilities, just from going to Wegmans, just from going to my local supermarket, just from, well, no, there's more online, isn't there? Ever tried to shop online, figure out what the best item is? Not only do they present you with exactly the item they want, they want to sell you, but they also have recommended purchases on top of that. You go to Amazon, you scroll down a little bit on the item that you want, and they'll say, people together often buy these other items. And you go, oh, I didn't know I could get that. Oh, I didn't know I could get that. That's exhausting. And if we do that all the time in our jobs and in our lives where we're constantly thinking about all of the options, do you know what happens when we get home at night from work? We say to our significant loved ones, I don't want to think tonight. I just want to veg. I just want to sit down. I want to grab the remote. I want to turn on Netflix. I want to watch a show I've already watched and invested in because I know what's going to happen and I don't have to think about it. I just want it to be there. I just want to, yeah, I remember that's coming. And we don't want to be challenged. We don't want to have to think. We want to shut off our brains. It's exhausting. But there's a second conclusion that we need to come from, from the fact that our brains are always satisfying, deciding what's important. What am I going to really be excellent in? What am I just going to be, you know, okay in? and the fact that there's so much more choice now than ever. Not only will we want to shut off our brains and stop thinking, we will also take shortcuts in how we go about our day. And our brain will design those shortcuts, and we automatically assume that this is the best way. I do this all the time when I'm driving and my GPS says, go a different way than I want to go. I'll automatically assume my GPS is idiotic it's broken and I need to go a different direction I don't know if that's you but you'll go no I don't need to go that way and then you'll spend 20 minutes in a construction zone because you didn't know that the GPS was telling you don't go this way you didn't want to have to think about it have you ever noticed that when you're driving if you need to make sure that you're turning at the right street maybe you don't have GPS you're driving You'll think, oh man, I really need to find this street. You'll turn down the radio just so that you can read the street signs. Why? The the radio has nothing to do with the street sign. But you'll turn it down because you need to focus. But if you didn't need to find that street, you're just driving, you know? Everything's on autopilot. You're not thinking, you're taking shortcuts on your driving, you're not listening. But it's interesting how those shortcuts that we take in life automatically come back to us when we hit those rumble strips on the side of the road boy that'll get our attention back to driving won't it whatever we were thinking of we'll just hey that's not right i'm getting a massage in a way that i didn't know i should and i want to get back into my lane that's what we do so it's exhausting to think And our minds take shortcuts that we assume are the best way. And we do that. And so, Paul says, be open to renewing your mind. And the way that he says to do this is, the way that I suggest that we do this is this. Not doing what I do simply because I've always done it. But, instead, consistently and habitually ask why, behind the what. Why do I do it this way? Why do I think this is the best option? Why do I think this is the best cereal? Why do I want this? Why do I want the chips? Why do I really want those things? And I know what you're already thinking. You're already thinking no. I know toddlers, when they ask why all the time, I just want to tell them, because, and I'm done. I don't want to have my brain and have a fight with my brain in my mind, I don't want to play a game where I'm constantly saying, why, 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 because eventually you just want to get, you're going to send your brain to your room. I know it's exhausting. And that's why we need the reminder to allow our minds to be renewed. But not just renewed by anything, it's renewed with God's truth. God knew that you and I, even if we're longtime Christians who feel like we know the Bible, are going to say, I know this, I do this, when God wants to do something new in us. He wants to do something new through us. He wants to change us. And the only way that process start it, starts is when he gets access to our minds to help us think and see things a little bit differently. We need to allow God to help us ask Why? Why did he say this? Why is it it in there? Why is this story in there? Why do I need this? Am I assuming that I know I do? So we need to be renewed. And there's a benefit if we do. Renewed mind is the key to the car. It starts the engine to knowing God's will for your life. That's what he says. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll know it. You'll see it, and you'll be able to respond to it. When you start to ask why, why is this here? Why do I believe that? And you allow yourself to have that comparison to with what God is saying in his word, then something amazing starts to happen where we begin to see what God is up to and what he wants to do in us and through us, and then we get to respond to that. A renewed mind leads to knowing God's will. Now why on earth did Paul have to tell us that? Of course, that's the great end result. Why did he tell us that? Because you and I are really, really good at self-deception. We have a cognitive bias about who we are. About how we look. About the way that we behave and about the way that we think about others. We have... That verse three that comes along, where he says, Of all people, Paul says this, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And the reason he has to say that is because Christians think of themselves more highly than they ought. We don't have sober judgment, we're drunk on our own self perception. And our assumption that we're okay. We've got it together. It's other people. They have the problem. When the problem's here, and we need to win that game. And I think that shows up most clearly in just recognizing the fact that we're not really good at long range planning like God is. Amen? Like we have something that we want to do, and then all of a sudden, something else radical comes along that changes everything some life-changing thing that we did not perceive we did not know that was coming and so God says I want to help with that I want to come in and help I don't want to bang on television too much you know to bang on Netflix go home and you know you watch a series and binge watch I do it Um, I schedule it in but I do it Um, So let's let me think of this in a positive way and use television in a positive way. Uh, How many of you watch uh, home renovation shows? Do you like those? Home renovation shows are really fascinating. The plot is is always similar, right? Uh, The idea is that uh, some flippers will come along even if they're skilled, right? Uh, They'll come along and they'll buy a home and they'll think we think this is a good home and they'll start to do renovations and they'll start to pull something up or down or out or change something, and when they do that, they'll see something that is not visible when they did the first inspection. Oh yeah, all the wiring's gone, all the plumbing's gone, the connection to the street has broken and rusted out and all the sewage is filling the basement or, you know, it needs a new subfloor or that wall that the previous owner took out, that was load-bearing, the roof could collapse at any second, right? And the most interesting shows are those ones where people get in over their head, their first-time house flippers or their first-time home renovators. They're me, in other words. And they go and they, you know, they walk into a situation, fools walking in where angels fear to tread, and they start to go and make these renovations, and oh, everything just falls apart on them. And then they have to call in experts. The seasoned veteran Paul, who had seen it all and done it all for Christ, said, there's things that I know that I would not have planned, but I have a God who helps me know the long-range plan. That's the benefit of knowing God's will. Because we can prepare for the setbacks. We can prepare for the things that we would say that's not a success. We can leverage those things. We can go to a God who wants to teach us, who wants to show us that even in that setback, God can take that failure and turn it into something amazing and good as we trust Him and love Him. Those first-time home flippers, that's every Christian. That's me. That's a seasoned pastor. We all need help. And God loves to offer help. Now I get it. Book can have stuff in it. This book can feel outdated, right? It can feel like the stories in there are so out of touch with today and out of touch with reality. And so what kind of impact do they have in our lives? that's because we have a temporal view the bible has an eternal view what god wants to do is not just help us flip a home he wants to help us as early as possible in our lives build towards our new home brand new blueprint From the ground up, you get to choose the foundation, you get to choose where the plumbing goes, you get to have all of those instructions. You don't have to worry about, if I open up this wall, what am I going to find? He wants to build something brand new. He's building for the eternal, not just the temporal. And you and I, we'll build for the temporal. We'll have the one-year plan, two-year plan, five-year plan, the retirement plan, and then the, the we don't know plan. God goes beyond that and says, I'm going to cover the eternal plan. Let me help you build that now. Follow these things now, and I will make your life better for the rest of your life and for all of eternity beyond this life. That's what the Bible is for. And so he says, By renewing your mind, you build with the end in mind, the real end. Not the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, the retirement plan, not the what-if plan, but the plan to come. And so we can trust him in that. In other words, God wants to transform our lives eternally by helping us win the mind game now. And so we need to give him access to our minds. Winning the mind game starts with renewing your mind with his truth, God's truth. Christian, if you're wondering what that is and you're thinking, I'm just kind of taking those steps, I want to encourage you and congratulate you for taking, I think, one of the most important steps you can take, and that's coming back the week after Easter to say, I'm here. I want to learn more. I want to apply more. What's your next step? What's the next thing you can do? As you run into passages and stories and verses where you go, I don't know what's going on. You can ask other Christians. You can get into a growth group where someone's going to ask you tough questions and you can share, I'm not sure about this. I can ask questions and in a safe place, those questions can be answered. Don't pretend you already know and are on the path. That's what Paul is warning us against here. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind we already have started to conform habits into our minds that we think, these are my best habits. These are the things that I want to do, and our brain has been wired for us to do that. And God says, as I make you a new person, I want to help you continue to develop neural pathways. Continue to learn. And as you open yourself up to my truth, be renewed by it. You will be transformed by it. So be open to learning from God. Your thought life eventually becomes your life. Let's win this game. Some questions for you just as we get ready to close. Um, Here they are. What are challenges Christians have When it comes to renewing their minds with God's truth. What are challenges Christians have. In renewing their minds with God's truth. Notice that's not non-Christians. That's intentional. What are challenges Christians have. And secondly what are some healthy ways that you would recommend. Or you would like to start personally. To renew your mind. What are some healthy ways that you would recommend or would like to start personally to renew your mind. As we begin our series, be mindful. Your thought life eventually becomes your life. So let God have access to your thought life by opening up his word being open to his truth. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you because you are a God who loves us enough to show us your truth in a way that changes us and transforms us. And Lord, would you forgive us for the times in our lives when we've said, I've got it together, I know what this says, and I don't need to. Lord, would you just make us open to your teaching, to your truth, Help us. Help us, Father, I pray. Because we want to be transformed to be like Jesus. That happens through the renewing of our minds with your truth. Would you help us to be conscious of how our brains work and our thought life works and give you access to that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.